Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Planning a trip down the aisle? Listen, Dana Katz and the team at Milnes will outfit the guys in a great suit or tux. We know that. You go walk in there, they're going to do a great job for you, make you look great. It's going to be easy, no hassle. These guys know exactly what they're doing. They're pros. Go to Milton's right now. You get top designer styles, latest color, price ranges. Buy one. It makes much more sense than renting it. Make it a point with one of these guys today. Call or email wedding at miltons.com. At Milton's, you'll be as comfortable in our stores as you'll be in our clothes. We know that, too. South Shore Plaza Braintree and Chestnut Hill Square, Chestnut Hill. Milton's, the store for men. All right, call an audible here this week. We're going to have Tom E. Karn. That's done. That's in That's in the bank. He wrote a book uh, with Julian Edelman that we're going to do two weeks from now. It's actually an excellent conversation with Karn. I'm looking forward to you guys hearing that. But it's TV season. I love TV. And Alan Sepwall is not. I'm not going to get Alan Sepwall on my show for 40 minutes to talk about TV. Jerry doesn't care about the future of Hulu and cost cutting. He just doesn't. So I got to sit down with Sepwall and talk about everything. He's got a new book coming out, Breaking Bad 101, The Complete Critical Companion. We had him on last year for that TV, the book. We ranked all the TV shows historically, which I really liked. It remains in a core uh, bathroom shitting position for me, which I use, let's say, every two or three months or so, I bring it back in the rotation. This one looks, if you like Breaking Bad, Sepwall is the best TV writer alive right now. So if you're a Breaking Bad fan, get it. You'd be a dummy not to do it. 101, The Complete Critical Companion. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about the current state of television, which I have to admit I find interesting. Maybe you guys don't. I don't know what the hell's going on with TV right now. It's all over the place. Uh, we go through a bunch of shows. Uh, we talk about the future of network TV. Talk about uh, The Sopranos, which he's writing a book about the 20th anniversary of The Sopranos. What's working, what's not working on TV today. Some shows you might not know about, you might want to watch. You can never go wrong uh, with a good TV conversation. The best television writer around right now is Alan Sepinwall. He joins us once again on Enough About Me. All right, return appearance for Alan Seppel. It's been a while. It's probably been like I don't know, six months or so, but TV season starting, and he's got a new book out right now. This is, this is when you know it's serious. When you write something called A Critical Companion, that's when you know we are in the world of... Uh, of high-end stuff. Breaking Bad 101, The Complete Critical Companion. Alan Sepinwall joins me, and this comes out October 10th? Yes, it does. This is this almost seems academic. I mean, this is not this is this is not a serious work, is it? No, it's meant to be um it's a collection of reviews that I wrote of the series right. as each episode was airing. Some of them have been rewritten, some of them are, you know, spruced up. But, you know, every time I do these recaps of shows, people say, man, I wish you could collect all of these in a book. I would love to have it. And, you know, sitting with me while I was watching each episode. And so now there's a publisher, Abrams, that has shown interest in it. And they did a Mad Men book. We're doing the Breaking Bad book that's coming out. And in about a year from now. Sopranos, right? Yeah, Sopranos 20th anniversary book. That's wild, 20th anniversary. Breaking Bad is one of these shows. Some do and some don't. Breaking Bad is held up pretty well. Like if you watch first season right now, you know it, it is held up well. It is not. It's not aged. I don't think. No, I, I agree. And I had to rewatch a lot of the show, obviously, before working on the book. And it, it all of it held up perfectly, and also made it that much harder for me to watch all of the many Breaking Bad wannabes that TV has had uh, in the years since then, because 
the show did it better than anybody else. You know, you I, I could be wrong about this, but I think I'm right. You were critical of Ozark, right? Yeah, I, that felt to me like sort of a very thin Breaking Bad wannabe, only it, with it, Jason Bateman. It was, but and, and I started out not liking it, but I have to say, like, it was okay. It was like a satisfying C-plus Breaking Bad. I think it's better. it got better as the year went on. Did you give up on it or no? I got six or seven episodes into it and decided I just wasn't interested enough in seeing the resolution of things. And with these Netflix shows, you know, it's like, okay, here's the next episode is loading up. Sure. I want to see what's happening next. But as you say, there's so much TV out there that if it's just a C plus, I would rather move on to something else. Does it bother you at all as as a guy? You grew up like I did, sort of watching TV, waiting for it. The Sopranos is a perfect example. I mean, you waited for The Sopranos Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Does it bother you now as a TV viewer? Because sometimes it does for me that you don't really get to build with the TV show. You can watch seven Ozarks if you want in one night or whatever it is, as opposed to watching The Sopranos on Sunday night, going to work, talking to everybody about it, uh, water cooler stuff, and then waiting, waiting, waiting. You can't wait for that next Sunday that feeling is gone right now. It's mostly gone. It's not entirely gone. When Game of Thrones was on this summer... True, that's true, that's true, that's true. Everybody's doing it. There's not a lot of those shows left. It's almost practically just that and The Walking Dead, but it's it still happens on occasion. I miss it. I really like that communal viewing experience of everyone, or at least everyone it feels like, watching the same stuff, talking about it either that night or the next day. And that has largely gone away because everyone, even if it's not a Netflix or an Amazon show, they're still watching it on their own schedule. You know, you'll be at a party and you'll mention right. a show and name. They're on episode. They're on episode four, and you're on episode nine. And yeah, it's like right. you know, stop talking. I don't want to know. I don't want to get spoiled. Died. Yeah, it's, that's 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 an issue. Do you think that before I want to do some of the false stuff with you? But do you, are you buying into the theory? And I, I think I have it. Although maybe it's just the quality of the movies. Has this hurt? Because for a guy like my age now. I'd much rather, unless the movie is something I'm dying to see, I'd much rather sit down and watch two episodes of some show I'm behind or something I want to start than go to the movies right now. Do you think that's a legitimate effect for the box office this past summer or no? That's certainly some of it, and some of it's also just the theatrical experience is terrible. You know, you're spending so much money, and you know, there's 25 minutes of previews, and you have to worry about people being on their phone or talking or whatever. Whereas, you know, you're at home, you can control the environment, so that's nice, but it's also... There's still great movies being made, but a lot of the time I will watch a movie and think, man, I wish there were you know seven hours about this as opposed to just the two I just watched. It didn't feel quite satisfying enough. That's true. I think that part of it, like last night we went to see uh, the Jeff Bowman movie Stronger. It had its, had its premiere in Boston last night. I went to see it, and I thought it's a really nice little well-made movie, but it's going to get absolutely buried. Nobody's going to see it, whereas 15, 20 years ago, I think there's an audience for that movie. Yeah, it's it's hard. Just the audience is splintered everywhere between movies, between TV, video games, the internet. Just people watching, you know, YouTube videos on their phones. It becomes trickier and trickier to get people to sit down for anything long form and to to get them to all agree on what the long form thing is they want to watch. All right, it feels like we're doing like a, a, a 1997 press junket when I'm asking you these questions. But I'm going to ask you, because it's September, what are the network shows that you want to see or are worth seeing if you're in, if you're in the car right now, you listen to this podcast, the networks are these things, or three of them, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and they have television <laughs> programs. Occasionally, there's situation comedies, and then occasionally, Alan, they drag into hour-long dramas. Are there any new ones that are worth seeing? 
new network shows, there's not a lot. This was, last year was a really good fall season for new stuff. There was This Is Us, there was Speechless um, on cable, there was Atlanta and Better Things and some other shows. This year, it sort of it goes in cycles, so there's not a lot that's very exciting in terms of new things, even on cable or on streaming. It, it, we're kind of in an every other year thing. I like kind of Ghosted, which is a sort of sitcom X-Files that Fox is doing with Adam Scott and Craig Robinson. And I think I mainly like it in theory. The first episode is not that great, and it's one of these things where they have to spend the whole episode explaining how these two guys wind up working together. But it feels like with the two of them, it could become really good. How about, there's, oh, good. There's a Law & Order true crime spinoff of the Menendez, Menendez brothers, murders. Right? Yeah, with, uh, uh, I haven't seen a second of that, but it's got Edie Falco in it. And the Law & Order creative team is generally very good at these rip-from-the-headlines things. And so, yeah, it seems sort of like a wannabe version of People vs. O.J., but it's been a while since that was on the air, and that, that's an itch I might want scratched. There are certain shows, though, when, so when you're watching football or you're watching whatever, and you see these network promos, like you see a promo for this Jeremy Piven show, and you think, is this, like oh. an, is this an SNL parody of a show, like, or is this an actual show? I mean, how, in 2017, how does this possibly get greenlit? I, I never understand that. It gets greenlit. There was a bunch of shows this past year with a similar idea. You know, wouldn't it be great if a tech billionaire took over some aspect of government? So you had one with with a rich guy running a hospital, one with a rich guy running a police force. Right, right, right. This wisdom of the crowd is sort of similar. It's you know, what if Reddit got to do all of our criminal Brandon, investigations? Is there any way that show's not going to suck? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, you it's saw terrible. it. And it's, it thinks its idea is awesome, and right. it doesn't seem to understand like. Wait, oh, maybe people might want privacy, and maybe the crowd is really bad at this sort of thing. It's, <laughs> I, mean, I watched the first episode. It's terrible. Well, that's, but, so I guess my point is, so smart people, whether it's people at HBO, and they do some bad shows, and Netflix does some bad shows, but they would never greenlight a show like that. So why does a studio person still feel like they have to do that show, or a network person? I don't, I don't get that. I think they're just sort of, they're trying to predict what's in the zeitgeist. And, you know, tech is big right now. Disruption is big right now. And, you know, political disruption as well. You know, we have a very rich guy with no governmental experience running the entire country. And so I can sort of see how they think, ooh, this is tapping into what's happening in America and what people want to see. But based on the ratings to the other two shows, which both died quickly, that's not going to happen. And what is, I mean, one of my favorite sitcom characters of all time is Dan Fielding. What is John Larroquette doing? I don't like seeing him in these shows that look awful. What's going on? It, all right, so he's in the show Me, Myself, and I, about the same character at three different ages. Oh, boy. Mainly about Bobby Moynihan in the present. John Larroquette's in the future. John Larroquette and Bobby Moynihan look nothing alike. Just <laughs> it's zero. I was like, there's about a two-foot height difference. There's a two-foot height difference. There's, uh, in the John Larroquette scenes, he has a love interest who, who we see Bobby Moynihan with as a teenager, and the love interest is played by someone who's 20 years younger than John Larroquette. None, none of it makes any sense. It, awful? It's not great. I've, there are definitely worse shows this year than that. Ooh, what's, the just, wor- what's the worst show? Because I want to watch the worst show. I want to watch the pilot. No, we've of the already talked about it. Oh, that's definitely the worst, worst one. So I should watch the pilot just to well, I enjoy it from a, like a bad TV perspective. Nah, I think, uh, I I think like you that. feel annoyed by it because uh, the idea is so dumb. And, it's, and it also neuters anything that's sort of interesting about Jeremy Piven because he's playing maybe not a nice guy, but a well-meaning guy. And you don't really want Jeremy Piven for I that. think we're all Jeremy Piven out, though, aren't we, at this point? Like yes. to, I think we all need a break. How about this idea, if this um, Will and Grace thing is a success, let's just say, uh, and I'm not sure there's a real appetite for it, maybe I'm wrong, 
Is that are we going to see more of that from other networks? Because they always steal each other's ideas. Are they going to say, "Oh, okay, let's try this and let's try these shows too"? Well, we're already seeing it. Will and Grace feels like you know the twentieth or the thirtieth of these revivals. It's different in that it's one of the few where it's being done as an ongoing show. That's what I mean, as opposed right. to a special event. Right. But you know, there's Fuller House. X Files came back. They tried bringing Twenty Four back. That didn't quite work. Um, you know, Gilmore Girls did a miniseries on Netflix. It's there's so many shows now that a lot of these executives think that the only way to cut through the clutter and get attention is with a familiar brand name. So you say, oh, I remember Will and Grace, so I don't require any other kind of sales pitch. I just want to see, you know, Will and Grace and Jack and Karen again. But, are, Most but of is, these have not done well. But is there an appetite? Like, was America clamoring for a return of Will and Grace? I, don't, I wouldn't have necessarily thought America was clamoring for a return of Full House. That's, but probably, tr- House that's is probably true. One of the successes. But that's uh, Netflix, right? Yes. So Netflix basically gauges that they know, for example, how many people are are streaming certain shows. So they know what hits and what doesn't hit, right? Yes. So what? So like, uh, was was for example, Ozark a big hit for Netflix? No idea. They, no idea. They tell. They tell. Yeah. How do they do nothing. that? Right. So we don't know. So. Like for example, I've never seen a list that ranks the ten biggest hits on. So I don't know who watches Orange and New Black versus House of Cards. Say right? No, it's all kept secret, and one um, for a bunch of reasons. One of which is so that they can brag about how big their audiences are, and no one can fact check them. Another is so when like people on their shows try to renegotiate their contracts, they don't know how successful it is, so they don't know how much leverage they have. Well, does Kevin Spacey say make as much money as Mark Harmon? I don't know, honestly. But is Mark Harmon's show still Amazon at- seem to be paying like way above market rate for everything. What's the best show right now on Amazon that nobody's watching? Uh, let's see. I mean, Amazon is a bunch. There, there's Transparent. There's Bosch. They had one that debuted uh, last week called One Mississippi. That's that's Nagaro. Nagaro. Tignataro. Yeah, right. it's sort of semi autobiographical. They do these little six episode seasons. Her character has moved back in with her stepfather in Mississippi after her mother dies, and it's just sort of small and sweet and very sharp, and there's a performance by this guy, John Rothman. You would not know the name, but as soon as you see him, you'll say, oh, I've seen him in like 25 different things and as her stepfather, and he is fantastic. It's one of the best performances on TV right now. And there's now. a Louis C.K. thing in there too, right? Uh, Louis C.K. I think helped develop it. No, but, 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 but I mean, we, I've read that she has a character in there who she, who she basically... Uh, bases Louis C.K. on, right, who's like pleasuring himself in front of her. That's what he's famous for. Uh, there, There is a scene like that, yeah. <laughs> well, I, he's not only famous for that, I should say, in his defense. He's also he, a famous... He has been accused of He's that, also a yeah. famous comedian as well, a television star, but, that, but that's one of the things as well. So that's worth watching. How about, like, so everybody watches... I don't know anybody who doesn't watch Netflix right now. If Netflix was $40 a month, I would still keep Netflix and get rid of everything else. I find more and more people are just completely bailing from forget networks. Just cable. I mean, now that uh, you know Game of Thrones is done for the year or whatever, I mean, who's sticking around to watch what on any of these channels? Well, I, there's definitely a lot of cord cutting. There was some statistic that said like there's going to be about 22 million people. I just read that, who, yeah. Who cut the cord in 2017. So it's definitely getting bigger. But then what happens is you wind up, you've got your Netflix, but then you start subscribing to all these other services, and everyone is starting up their own. And Netflix is slowly but surely losing most of their library titles, which is why they have so many of these originals. So eventually you're going to have to subscribe to like seven or eight different services and pay for high-speed Internet from your cable company, and the price will come out to be exactly the same as now, if not more. 
What's the big Netflix show in the fall? Is it Stranger Things, which I was I, I couldn't really wrap my arms around. It's coming back for season two, and everyone's fired up for that. That is definitely the big one. That's coming back around Halloween, and I liked it. I didn't love it. I enjoyed it a lot, and I get why people were into it. There's sort of a big 80s nostalgia thing to it, uh, and unlike a lot of the other Netflix shows, it was only eight episodes, so it didn't run out of steam like most of their dramas tend to do. So it was this nice experience, and it wasn't overhyped. It was this thing no, it kind of where came everyone out of nowhere, discovered right, it. Right, right, right. What are the, what are the, what are the shows that... So I'm, I'm the same as everybody else. I look Netflix all the time. There's got to be a couple of shows that have been under the radar that you like that people don't know a lot about. Ah, uh, God, I'm trying to think. You're, you're talking about like Netflix originals. Yeah, yeah, shows yeah, they have the yeah. To. Yeah, uh, either or, really. Just yeah, I would say originals. So probably more likely than not. Oh, oh no, you know what? I'll ask you about. I'll ask you about this one because it's not. It's not. They had the original on Netflix. What is the one with? Um, Nicole Kidman, Jane Campion's doing it. The girl from Mad Men's oh, on it. Oh, Top of the Lake. Yeah, now that's lake. on Hulu. That's on Hulu um, now, right? Yes, Hulu has the rights to both the original season from 2013 and the new one that just wrapped up airing last night on Sunday. It's called Top of the Lake China Girl. It's with Elizabeth Moss. And the first one is one of the great shows I've ever seen. I like watched the, the first one, yeah. Yes. Did you watch this last one or no? I did. It's still very good because it's got Elizabeth Moss, and she's just killing it this year between that and Handmaid's Tale. It's the plot's a lot more. You've got to let a lot go this time than last time. It's just it's more gibberishy. There's a lot more coincidence. It's taking place in a big city, and one of the things that made the original so great was just this remote mountain town location with the huge lake and the nature of it. And the new season doesn't have that, but it's still very good. Have you figured out like at this point? Obviously, when you started doing, when do you start doing uh, television reviews? Uh, the television. Nineteen ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. I mean, when you look at it now, the landscape. How do you define it? Do you even try to? Do you just say, "Look, there's just shit everywhere. I'm going to try and watch as much as I can." I mean, it's, there's just so much more. Uh, you know, I used to have this philosophy: I'm going to re- watch everything and review everything, and eventually that starts going by the wayside bit by bit. And now it's to the point where I can't even find time to watch everything that I think might be good or that I've been told is good. And I just sort of have to pick and choose. And sometimes you guess wrong and you miss something, you know. Um, you know, I have a friend who keeps saying, Alan, how come you haven't watched Fauda yet, which is some Israeli show that Netflix has. All the different streaming networks have a lot of international shows. And yeah. I, say, I just haven't had the time. Yeah, it's, that's, that's part of it. So, you, so are you sitting down right – are you doing – Sopranos, this this 20th anniversary book, is it just going to be your old reviews? Or are you rewriting some? Are you writing new stuff on it? What's the, it's what's the plan? It's largely new stuff. Yeah. I only ever recapped the last season of the show when it aired. And then a couple summers ago for Uproxx, I did the first season. And since then, it's just me and my partner, Matt Dollar Sites. We're writing most of them from scratch. We're doing a new series of interviews with David Chase, one for every season. We did the first one of those earlier this month. And so we're going and doing a deep dive. So most of it's original, but that also means that in a time when there's all these fall premieres coming back, right. I'm having to make time to watch Sopranos episodes. I watched four of those yesterday. Do you think if Gandolfini hadn't died, let's just say he was still alive now, that they would have brought that show back in some form or fashion or no? I don't think they ever would have done a sequel because, among other things, that would have required David Chase to answer what happened at the end. Right. Uh I think there. He's talked over the years about maybe doing something either set earlier in the run of the show, like you know, here's a story you never learned about Tony between season three and four, something like that. Or he talked about doing a flashback series set in the 1960s about Johnny Boy and Junior Soprano, something like that. 
I think he might have been willing to do that. And then once Jim died, it just it it became a little too painful. And what is he doing now, Chase? What does he have next? Anything? Uh, he has. It's been in development for a long time. I think it might finally be moving forward a little bit. Uh, a miniseries for HBO about the early days of the movie business in like the 19-teens. Oh, really? Uh, for HBO? Yes. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. Um, when, when you, when you look back at the Sopranos now, what, what do you know this now that you didn't know this when you were first watching? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it different? I, mean, I, I haven't uh, watched the first season in forever. Is it aged poorly? No, it's aged very well. I mean, there, there are parts of it that weren't made, that maybe we forgave a little bit back then because most of the show was so great and so new. And so some of the performances that are a little on the broader side, a little on the stickier side, those maybe stick out more than they did before, and there's just some plots that never quite work. You know, anytime they would do an episode about you know Italian American representation in pop culture, like that Columbus Day one, that was stupid. Uh, that the Columbus Day one. episode is is not magically better all these <laughs> years later, but the good stuff, my God, it holds up astonishingly well considering how many shows have ripped that off over the years, including Breaking Bad. Oh, there's no, yeah, there's no doubt. But I, well, yeah, that's true. We we used to speaking of Breaking Bad. I was going to ask you this: if I had said to you uh, during Breaking Bad while it was on that there was going to be a spinoff of Breaking Bad and it was going to be Better Call Saul about Saul Goodman, would you have ever thought that that was going to be a good television series? No, nope. I mean, I'm shocked. I was stunned. I was so skeptical of it. I a didn't want any kind of spinoff because it ended more or less perfectly. And B, I did, if they were going to do one, I would have wanted it to be about Mike or Gus. I didn't think that Saul was an interesting enough character to carry a whole show, and instead, it's great. Yeah, there were times, honestly, like toward the end of Breaking Bad, when you, when Saul came in, that it was sort of uh, shticky almost after a while. You kind of, I was almost done with Saul by the end of Breaking Bad. That's why I'm so surprised it's good, but it works. Yeah, no, because they they took a character who was really thin and basically yeah. one note comic relief. And they figured out, okay, well, what was he like before this? And it turns out Bob Odenkirk is a really good dramatic actor. Yeah, which, you know, if you'd watched Fargo, obviously, which I'm sure you did, you would have known. Yes. He was damn good in Fargo. He was damn. That, that, for me, that first season of Fargo was about as good as it gets. That first season was great. I love the second as well. The third Not great. felt kind of like diminishing returns, and who knows when or even if that'll come back. What's the current landscape? Of like it used to get talked about a lot more, I think, when I was a kid, because that's when the Bill Carter book came out, and there was a real feeling of war. It doesn't feel like there's war anymore in late night television. Obviously, there's Trump, which is a great sparring partner, but it doesn't seem like, you know, it seems like Fallon and Kimmel and and, and Colbert are all operating their own sort of you know universes. And they don't intersect. Yeah, and you still have some people trying to cover the ratings like it was the Bill Carter late shift days. Doesn't matter, right? You know, Colbert's numbers have gone up since he started being more political. Uh, Fallon's numbers have dipped a little bit since the election. Suddenly, you know, his material doesn't seem quite as much fun and or people are still annoyed with him over when he had Trump on any rumble. I mean, do you there. watch those guys? Not really. My either. wife really likes them, so sometimes I'm yeah. in the room when they're on. But it just feels like such an artifact of an earlier time. Like, it does. Why do I need to watch an hour of, you know, sort of fake conversation with actors promoting their projects. The only one I tend to watch at length is Seth Meyers, who I think is doing some really good stuff. Well, it seems like to me what they figured out, or at least with the, what you do now, is you watch, you know, with one of those late night shows, if they, something happens, it'll be viral and you'll watch it and then you'll be exactly. done with it. I mean, nobody, very few people I would think sit down and watch, you know, Jimmy Kimmel for an hour. It seems impossible at this time. 
Yeah, and yet, you know, there, there's my wife. Yeah, she that's true, right. Colbert pretty much from beginning to end. Yeah, and how about SNL this year? I mean, obviously last year was an enormous season, I think largely obviously because of Trump. I mean, do you anticipate them continuing to roll at least, you know, I didn't think it was the show was great last year. The numbers were big. Do you think they'll have another huge season? Uh, I don't know. It depends on, A, Alec Baldwin's availability. And, you know, Trump is just sort of difficult to satirize because everything he does is so huge and in a lot of ways ridiculous to begin with. And they did their best with it. I agree with you. I don't think it was necessarily great last year. It was more just people wanted to see their take on it. And every now and then they would hit on gold like Melissa McCarthy as Spicer. I thought that was, you know, the, yeah, first, she was, catch was no, the first time she did it was great. But I feel like. I, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's the fact that the guy who runs the show is older now. I don't. I don't find SNL, and I think obviously where they stand politically is pretty obvious now. But they just don't find SNL funny anymore. I, 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 most of the time, it's definitely it's the age of the show. It's the age of you. You know, yeah, that's true. Your, your favorite year of SNL is pretty much always going to be whatever the cast was when you were in high school. When you graduated high school, no doubt. For me, it's, yeah, right, it's Dennis Miller for me and Phil Hartman and those guys. Carvey yeah, and I've and, gone back and I've rewatched some of those episodes, and they're not fu- slow. Right, not funny. I, I agree. I, so that, it's funny you said that. I used to say that because, you know, my dad would do the same thing. He'd say, oh, Belushi was the best. Acro was the best. And, yes, there were funny sketches, but you ever try and sit down and watch it for 90 minutes? It's torture. Yeah. But and that's the thing is no one who is creating the show now would make it be this ninety minute thing with a host monologue with two musical performances with weekend update every week you know in a world where you've got the Daily Show and other things doing this stuff every night it's just it's a legacy format that they're still doing because it's tradition. So how does network television save itself? How, what's the, how does it, how does it create you know another big generation of hits? I understand they'll never be as big as they were when we were younger. But what's 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 the next step? How are they going to figure this out? Uh, one of the things, and they're doing a lot of it already, is just live events because that's the one thing that seems to be DVR on-demand streaming proof is you want to watch this thing when it's on. That's why there have been so many of these live musicals, musicals for instance, right. some of which have done better than others. But football has been one of the few things relatively immune to the ratings erosion you're seeing everywhere. But even that, the last couple of years... A Football ratings are definitely dipping. So it's, you know, you have to come up with something that people feel they need to watch in a format where they're going to be exposed to commercials and in in the format that the networks want them to watch it in as opposed to the format that they want to watch it in. And technology has made it so it's sort of like not going to the movies. It's so much more preferable to do it where you have the control. Is there is is this show where this young Sheldon, where he's a kid, I mean, is, is this something that people want to watch? I don't know. It's tricky because, you know, Big Bang Theory is still hugely popular, but that's a very traditional, what's called a multicam sitcom. It's shot on a stage in front of a live studio audience, and so you hear people laughing as the jokes are told, and this is like the Wonder Years. Um, There's no laugh track. It's shot on film. Parts of it are dramatic. Parts of it are not. And I don't know if the audience for the one is going to be the audience for the other, even though the character is the same, and even though Jim Parsons is narrating it, have you watched it? Any of them yet, or no? I've seen it. I don't. I have mixed feelings about it. It's some of the things that you take as okay when Sheldon's doing it as an adult feel kind of sad when a kid's doing it. Like one of the themes of both shows is it's really hard to be someone who cares about Sheldon Cooper right. because he's so difficult to be around. And when you're doing that with, you know, I think a ten-year-old kid. 
that just seems a lot tougher to get through, maybe, than when he's Jim Parson age. You know what's interesting about Netflix right now is they're sort of at that point where networks get and where HBO gets it. They've been around long enough now that their shows, sort of their their workhorse, workhorse shows are kind of getting long in the tooth. I mean, House of Cards is ridiculous now. Orange is the New Black, I thought, sucked last year. They're kind of at the point now where they have to flip over and find new hits, and I think they're probably going to find out that that's not so easy. It's not, because originally it was just Netflix was new. I, people were just so excited to watch House of Cards. I remember Twitter that weekend, people boasting, oh, I finished it. Have you finished it yet? And now there's just so many of these shows that simply being a new Netflix show isn't in and of itself exciting enough. And we'll see. They're, Netflix has started canceling things. They used to never cancel anything. Um, and we're going to find out whether the economics of this really work or whether they're just throwing you know, VC money you know, down a big, big drain. So when Netflix does something like Netflix is doing this Scorsese movie with De Niro and Pacino, right? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. Right. Well, I've heard, or whatever. The, this Will Smith movie or one of these movies. So do they, do they buy it from somebody for, or do they actually finance it themselves from scratch for like $100, $120 million? I mean, they're doing this? It varies. Sometimes they acquire things. Sometimes they produce them themselves. I mean, the Sandler movie, the Sandler movies, for example. Yeah, but the Sandler movies—they're producing themselves. But also, right. Adam Sandler movies are made for like a buck and a quarter. True, but I mean, what I what I understand is, and I'm sure I'm wrong. They probably have a great business plan. Is is there you're going to get a return on that every single time? So if Adam Sandler makes six movies for a hundred million dollars, you're going to get a six hundred million dollar return on that. I don't know. I mean, is that does that, that seem possible? Nobody knows because again, they, right, won't, nobody tell knows. Us, they won't tell us right. who's watching, how many, and how much money they're making. They just boast that they're doing really well. Maybe they are. What's what's uh, what's the any anything else on Hulu this year that's worth watching or no? Uh, Hulu's one I don't pay much attention to. I probably should. Well, Handmaid's Tale was one of the big shows right. of this year. I wouldn't be shocked if it wins a bunch of Emmys uh, this weekend. Elizabeth Moss feels like a lock to win an Emmy for that for drama actress. Um, uh, they've they've got a show coming up, I think, called Future Man. I'm I'm just sorting through all of the yeah, it's hard to do. I know of fall of fall TV right now. The best thing I've seen in terms of new stuff already debuted, and that's the Deuce on HBO, which I think is fantastic. And that, so that's with James Franco and Edie Falco's in that too, right? No, no, oh, Maggie not? Gyllenhaal. Oh, Jill, I'm sorry, it. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Right. So what is the plot of that? It's um the rise of the porn industry in the early seventies. So, uh, James Franco plays identical twins, one of whom runs a bar in Times Square. Maggie Gyllenhaal's a prostitute who becomes interested in making porn movies because she's sick of being out on the street. There's a bunch of characters who are pimps, other hookers, etc. And it's, it's from the guys who did The Wire. It's fun, which you wouldn't expect necessarily the show to be, but it's really good. And it's sort of, you know, remember Vinyl on HBO and how much of a drag that yes, was? It sucked, yeah. This is so much better than that. Oh, good. I'm going to watch that then. Excellent. Are there any HBO, any of these networks are, are coming up with any of these things like they had, like the Robert Durst one, any miniseries coming out, documentary miniseries? These seem to be home runs, especially on Netflix or on HBO. People love this shit. I know I do. I eat it up. Yeah, they're, I'm not sure. There, there are definitely ones in the pipeline, especially since you know Making a Murderer right. became the phenomenon that it was. I couldn't necessarily pull one, a title out of, out of my head right now. Though. Well, it's led to a lot of shitty like Making a Murder ripoffs on Netflix. You watch it, like, you know, it's like if you watch Making Murder, you watch this, and nine times out of ten, they suck. Hey, well, they, Netflix even made one, uh, I forget if it's out now or if it's coming out in a week or two, called American Vandal, which is a parody of the six-act kind really? of documentaries. Jesus. So they've made enough that they know it sort of needs to have the piss taken out of it. Uh, are, there any, are there any, so, you know, you write Breaking Bad. 
You write The Sopranos. Obviously, you've done the other ones. Uh, Mad Men. Is there like a show right now that's on TV that's good enough that you could see yourself writing a book about it in like 15, 20 years? Uh, it depends on how the last season of The Americans is, for instance. I might do that. Better Call Saul could one day. The Leftovers, which wrapped up its run you know, earlier this year, right. I think was pretty great. And by the end was the equal of a lot of those early 2000s HBO shows. It, it depends. There, You kind of have to have this confluence of events of not only a show being great enough, but beloved enough to do it. And Sopranos was a huge hit. Breaking Bad became a huge hit by the end. Mad Men, the numbers were never big, but it sort of it, it had this big, deep pop culture footprint. Right. I don't know. There's not a lot of those. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure many books will be written on Game of Thrones. I don't know that that's one that I would do, but there's definitely going to be cash-ins done there. Is Game of Thrones... See, I'm not a big Game... I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. Is Game of Thrones... As important HBO as, as The Sopranos was, is it as big in, in the culture as The Sopranos was? I'm guessing it is only because social media exists now, too. It didn't then. Yes, I and mean, in some ways it's bigger because even the Sopranos, I think the most popular season was the fourth, which is not anyone's favorite season of The Sopranos. It's the one with the Columbus Day episode and Carmela flirting with Furio and all of that. Yeah, that was a weird season, yeah. Um, but even then, it was like you know, 12 million people were watching a week, which is a big number. And maybe it got bigger over time when people, depending on what episode they watched on Monday or Tuesday. But that was a time, you know, ER was still on the air. Law and Order was still on the air. CSI, West Wing, there were a lot of big TV hits on the air. So it was one of many. Now it's Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, and that's about it. So to HBO to have one of those two shows is much more important to them now, I think, than Sopranos was then, even though Sopranos is the show that led to everything else that happened after. We need any more TV from Aaron Sorkin? I feel like bad. you either get really good Aaron Sorkin or really bad Aaron Sorkin. He's got a bunch of different things in the work. I feel like the, the newsroom experience Ooh, may have yeah. scarred him from coming back to TV full-time. I think they're going to do a live version of A Few Good Men yeah, on NBC. With Baldwin is uh, Nicholson. Baldwin's got the oddest. I, I'm enjoying it. It's almost like Rob Lowe, where Rob Lowe at some point was like, I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. Baldwin's doing that, too. Like, that's like a total Baldwin move. Like, you know what? I'll just play it. Fuck it. And it's like good casting, too. Yep. You know, that that, that, that might actually. Also, Sorkin has that movie coming out uh, with uh, Jessica Chastain. And, uh, one, one last one before I let you go. True Detective Season 3 is going to happen, right? Yes. With... Uh, Mahershala Ali, who was not who won in the Oscar last yeah, year for Moonlight, and who was not in um, this past season of House of Cards, right? I don't think no, because he was busy doing other things, including he was in uh, Luke Cage season one. So right. he's that guy's working very hard now. Any expectations for True Detective season three or after season two? Are you just saying it? No chance. The only reason I'm excited is because apparently the creator of that show, Nick Pizzolatto, is writing it with David Milch, who's the guy who created oh, really? NYPD, NYPD Blue, Blue and Deadwood wrote for Hill Street Blues, so he's one of the great TV writers of all time. So I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that particular writer's room because these guys both strike me as really, you know, stubborn and specific about the way they do things. Right. So this could either be brilliant or it could be an even bigger mess than the Colin Farrell season, but I'm going to be watching it. How long, how long was that season two before you realized it was a total disaster? Like 20 minutes? Definitely by the end of the first episode, I was just wondering why I was meant to care about any of it. Right. So the book is Breaking Bad 101, The Complete Critical Companion. Alan Sepinwall comes out October 10th. Is that right? I want to get that wrong. That is, yeah. October 10th. I'm looking forward to it. We always enjoy having you on. Hopefully we'll get you on again here 
Uh, well, when's the Sopranos book going to come out? Do we have a, Do we already have a? It's going to come out in January of 19? 2019, which will be the 20th anniversary of the premiere. That's insane. 20 years for that. For that. All right, excellent, Alan. We'll have you on again uh, soon. I'm sure. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again. I guarantee it. And you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.